Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Healing Insight. Healing Insight is an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to pain relief to fertility and so much more. Now, I've personally been seeing Senia for several years, and I'm now part of her membership program, which means I have a standing monthly appointment. Each month, we decide together which areas of my health to focus on. Sometimes it's an energy boost. Sometimes it's more acute, like sinus issues. Other times we focus on boosting immunity. Several of my family members go to Healing Insight, and I really do credit Senya as being a huge part of how I'm able to balance work, family, and other projects, and overall, the most important part, maintain good health. Now, Senya can also help you work through many health issues over Skype or Zoom calls. And Senya was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes episodes of Best to the Nest. It's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety. I really encourage you to download that episode if you haven't already and go to HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And we are talking about three of my favorite subjects today, Marjorie Punnett. (laughs) Are you ready for me to list them? I know what they are. Go for it. Chickens, gardens, and bread. Yes! And I love this because of the theory behind why these are your favorite topics. This is what I love. These are my favorite things. So we'll talk a little bit about why we're talking about this now. Number one is because we are in the midst of the COVID-19 global pandemic. And Mm. there has never in my lifetime, and not yours either, been Mm -mm. a greater interest in growing your own food, backyard chickens, baking bread, creating things in your home. And there are a few reasons for that that we'll get into, but this is something that I've really been super passionate about for for sure the last decade. And throughout my life, I can see the progression of why that happened. And it goes way beyond the idea of preparing for or surviving a pandemic for me. For me, it comes down to this idea of creating a home that gives you something back. So I've always, since I bought my first house 10 years ago, I was troubled by the idea of having this piece of property and this home that all I did was leave home to make money to be able to pay for stuff with the home, right? Right. I wanted the home to be more holistic than that. And I wanted it to be something that was creating something and giving something to me so that we had this 
kind of like mutually beneficial relationship. That's sort of why I love old houses because I love that idea of, hey, I'm here to take care of you just as much as you're here to take care of me. Take care of me. And I, I thought this was such an interesting theory because I actually had the same theory, but from a completely different financial standpoint. Ooh, give me. So I always felt like our homes were part of Punnett Corporation. Yeah. That the homes should make us money. Yeah. And so it was a different theory in that we would buy and sell a house about every five years. And so we would usually buy a house that needed to be renovated. I would renovate it and then we would sell it. We wouldn't flip it because we would live in it as long as we needed to. For sure. And then we would sell it and we usually made money on it. But I never looked at a home as a place where I could necessarily rest. It was just a part of the bigger business picture. And I think what has changed in me, and I think it's partly through knowing you, of looking at my home differently, of looking at it as I still want it to give back to me, but I want it to feel like a home and not a business proposition. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of a, that's a, a paradigm shift for me a little bit. Well, I think you can find a balance, right? I mean, and that's mm-hmm. clearly what you're doing is finding that balance. It's sort of like... I think that you can find a balance between being somebody who is just completely reliant on other people for everything and companies for your food, for everything that's happening in your home. Mm -hmm. And that's one extreme, not creating anything at your house. And I'm talking like eating takeout, like always buying your clothes. Anytime you need something fixed, you outsource it, right? So being completely reliant on other people and the funds that are coming in in order to make that work And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have doomsday preppers who are (laughs) buying tons and tons of dried whatever, and then they've got it stashed in the basement, and then they're completely off the grid. Like, I think you can find a happy medium between those two. I'd like to find a happy medium. (laughs) You know, what I've been striving for. So, so I think we're going to, we're going to talk about all three of these, or several of these sort of elements here of things that you can be doing in your home that, Right now, we have more time. Most of us, unless you're working in healthcare or something like that, you are home a little bit more. And so you have maybe a little bit more time to kind of maintain those small projects. For example, like sourdough that we'll talk about. I mean, I've been able to bake bread because I'm home. I'm working from home. So it's no big deal for me to run downstairs and pop it in the oven or whatever. So that's helping. And then also the fears, the fears of what hasn't been available at the grocery store. I think it was really shocking for people to see at the grocery stores at the beginning of this pandemic in particular. I mean, I remember walking in to Whole Foods and seeing, I, you couldn't find a potato, onion, banana. Yep, It was like done. I mean, I think I picked up the last can of canned beans when I was there. It was oh, really Elizabeth, shocking. That was, that was the grocery store last night. Oh, gosh. I went last night and there was very little meat. I mean, it was funny to me because what was left were the Beyond Burgers. Mostly. Sorry, I have a bad reaction to those. (laughs) Mostly all of the meat was gone. I mean, there were like random, like a random slab of bacon and and two little filet mignons were left, I think, because they were so insanely expensive. For sure. But But the meat was essentially gone. And then I went over to the sort of bread flour cooking aisle and there was no flour except there were three bags of flour that looked like they'd come from the deli. 
So it's almost like the grocery store had gotten a flour sack in, divided it up, weighed it, and put it on the shelf. Oh, and then gave it to people to spy. Wow. Yeah, it was very strange. And I think that that's got to be part of what's getting into people's psyches about, okay, I need to be self-reliant. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about self-reliance in your backyard. A lot of that starts in the chicken coop at my house. I've had chickens for, backyard chickens for, I think, gosh, now seven or eight years, eight years probably. I think I knew you when you got your first chicken. I'm sure that you did. I bet we were doing the radio show together because it was, I think it was before I got married. Mm -hmm. And So right now we have three chickens in our backyard and we've had chickens for years. We moved them from our old house to our new house and my husband built our latest chicken coop, which is a glorious structure. It's really wonderful. But USA Today did a really interesting piece on backyard chickens and they're talking about egg retailers orders from wholesalers have increased by anywhere from double to 600% and supply cannot be immediately increased. And so if you like if you go to the grocery store now, you're probably going to have a limit. You can only buy maybe one to two dozen eggs yep. at a time. And and then you have to figure out what to do. I mean, I I scrambled up six a half a dozen eggs this morning for the family for breakfast and they all came from my backyard. How many so how many eggs a day do you get? Okay, so I get so you have in three the spring chickens and that summer. are all laying eggs. Yep, I have three hens. Yes, their names are Emily, Daisy, and Chippy. <laughs> and they live in the backyard. <laughs> They're very sweet. So we get between two and three eggs a day from our flock total in the spring, summer, and fall. In the winter, they slow down production. So they're very dependent on daylight in terms of how often they lay. So the reason why chickens that are in industrial factories lay eggs more consistently is number one, they're bred just for egg laying. Our chickens are heritage breed chickens. They're not, they're great layers, but they're not bred to just crank out an egg every certain amount of time. And, and then industrial chicken operations artificially light their coops. Okay, so, so they, they keep more. as much daylight as possible and then um and then they lay more. So for me, a lot of the chicken idea came from the fact that I've always I mean, I've been an on again, off again juicer for a long time. Right. And my parents were always juicing when I was growing up. And so I went through this thing where I was juicing a lot and then I would throw the juicing pulp away. And then I was going to the garden store to buy compost for my garden. And I thought, well, something here isn't connecting. I'm throwing the stuff away that I, and then I'm going to buy something else. Like this doesn't make sense. And so that's where the chickens came in because then what I do is I feed the juice pulp to the chickens. So every day when I juice, and I don't juice every single day, it'll be like two weeks on, two weeks off. But all of our scraps, carrot peels, apple skins, apple cores, all that stuff, I give that to the chickens. They eat it. They create eggs. We eat those. They also create waste within their coop that then I compost and put into the garden. So it becomes- And the eggshells. What happens to the eggshells? I bet yeah, those the egg get shells, composted. The eggshells compost. I also put them in my tomato plants. So oh, right. you plant eggshells with your tomato plants and it helps with bottom rot. It helps- with the uh, calcium in the soil. And then you can also, which I do regularly, is I dry them out in a Ziploc and then I blitz them up in the food processor and then you feed them back to the chickens. It's a calcium source for the chickens. It, oh, it's interesting. Like, 
an interesting thing that you can do with eggshells. Well, it's such a completing circles. That's such a big sustainability issue is if we really think about everything we do in our homes and in our lives with intention, there is a way to complete almost every circle. Yes. So that there's very little, little waste. Little and I waste. Think, I think that has to be really fulfilling for you to see that in one, I would say small way, but you know what I mean by that. It is, I think it's huge actually. Yeah, You've but it's small a, on the scale of things. It's three chickens of, of in the, the universe. world. <laughs> yes. Of the universe in a pandemic, but... <laughs> But you've completed a circle. And I think that's the, when I, that's what I love talking about with you. And I think that's how you've in, influenced me in that way is to think with more intention about how to be self-sufficient. And that self-sufficiency is so much bigger if you can spread that message. And I love the idea. So you get three eggs a day. You probably still have to subsidize because yep. your kids are little. I still buy by eggs. buying eggs at the store. Yeah. But let's say worst case scenario. There were no eggs. Your kids would still be getting eggs. Oh, for and that's sure. a big deal. That's yeah. a really big. They may not get them every day. They might only get them. What could you feed them just on your own if you had to sustain? How often could your kids have eggs? Twice a week, probably. Yeah, I mean, because I still have deal. to buy at least a dozen a week. That's a big deal, though. As I went to the grocery store last night, and the only eggs that were left were sort of the lowest quality eggs. Yeah. We're the only ones that were left. And then I will tell you what happens is once you start having your own pasture raised great eggs, you can't go back to bad eggs. My kids are so egg spoiled. If I give them some <laughs> pale yolked egg, they're like, oh, mama. Oh, what? I don't like these eggs. Oh, gosh. They're egg spoiled. That's totally what happens. Yes. May that always be true. I know. I know. But I've had more people reach out to me in the last few weeks saying, hey, can you send me some resources for chickens? How do I get started? All of that stuff. So I have a couple of tips for you if you want to do backyard chickens. Number one, pandemic or not, I think everybody should do backyard chickens. I think they're fantastic. It's so fun. It is very easy. And Marjorie, you know, I have a lot going on. It is, I yes, spend, I buzz out to the coop once a day to get eggs, feed them and say hello. And then I clean the coop probably once every week to week and a half. And that takes me approximately seven minutes. I mean, I can do it, wow. go out, clean the coop, call it a day. It is very and I, quick. And I have to say, having been, having stayed at your house, there's something really fun about just walking out there and there are chickens in the backyard. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. 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 It's really fun. But I do think you want to think about having chickens is not not just like a trendy thing. You need to be someone who is interested in it. You can't really be afraid of birds. You have to be right. okay with having them in your yard. And you also have to understand that they don't lay eggs for about this first six months. So you get them as chicks. It takes six months for them to get to the point where they're laying. It is an investment on the front end. You're not going to save money at the beginning, it's not like, oh, I want to save money on food, so I'm going to get backyard chickens. It's not that way because you right. still have to buy feed. You have to build a coop. There's certain equipment that you need to get. You can definitely do it on the cheap or you can do it more expensive. But What's I, the front-end um, investment, do you think? Oh, on gosh. The, I mean, if you're going to build – if you have to build a coop and then get all of the stuff and if you build it yourself, I would say at least seven or $800 on the front end. Yeah. Even just building the, it with the all of the stuff that you need. You have to pay a permit fee. I just had to pay my permit fee, all of that stuff. So you have to remember that at the beginning, it's not 
a super money-saving operation. But part of this, not to be a doomsday prepper, but part of this is to feel more secure in your own food chain, in your own sure. food supply chain. Yes. And I think it, I was watching a piece last night that CBS This Morning did on gardening centers are having the best year ever. For sure. And what's interesting is they're talking about how people aren't coming in to buy – well, they're still buying flowers, but what they're really buying is food. Mm-hmm. So, And that's different. Not that that hasn't been done before, but the numbers are just through the roof on herbs and tomatoes and all of those other things. Seeds, I think seed sales have tripled. They're going gangbusters. Yeah. So the other thing with chickens, before we move on to gardens, is I really recommend that you take a class. I took a class at Eggplant Urban Farm Supply, which is, that's where, it's a little shop in St. Paul. That's where I get all my chicken gear. I took a class there almost a decade ago, and lots of different places will offer classes, and you can check with your municipality. I most, like the city of Minneapolis requires that you take a class oh, now in order to get a permit, and it does help you just know what you're getting into, know the pros, and know the cons. But again, it's really fun, and it's something with your kids that it teaches them where their food comes from. Right. They learn that we feed the chickens and the chickens feed us. Feed us. And when you live in the city or you live in the suburbs, there is this disconnection from our food supply that I think is so detrimental. It's just so detrimental because it allows industrial food systems to be completely in control and to not be transparent about how our food is handled. And I think that there are so many terrible consequences to that. And this is a way for you to connect with your food and to have that understanding. And then what happens to your mindset about all the food that you purchase and bring into your home totally shifts when you have food being created on your own property. So that's even the bigger picture joy to me that goes so far beyond a pandemic. That's the everyday. And for the people who aren't ever going to have a chicken coop, in terms of closing those circles, buy local eggs. Yeah. If you're really never going to have – and there are lots of people who are never going to have a chicken coop. But you can keep those local food supply chains open if you buy local. And and then you also know – for the most part, you might get to know the person who's bringing the eggs. Mm -hmm. You'll get to know how they're feeding the eggs. You'll know by the taste. Trust me, you'll know by the taste. But at the very least, I I read a long time ago, I don't know what nutrition article I was reading that said, if you're going to spend your money on one thing to make sure you get the best, it's eggs. I totally agree. That's really where you want to put your money is, is get the best eggs you can because they're so nutritionally, they're so nutritionally dense. Yeah. Well, studies will show. Yeah, that your backyard eggs, pasture-raised eggs, have higher level of, levels of omega-3s. Yeah. The non-pasture-raised eggs. I always laugh when I see hens raised on a vegetarian diet as a label like, hey, look how great this is for eggs. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that means, oh, great, they spent their entire life inside. Because chickens are not vegetarians. They're looking for bugs and slugs. They're the best tick eaters that you can possibly have. They will yeah. clear your land of ticks. And and so if they are vegetarian fed, that means that they're only eating feed and they're not going outside and pecking in the grass. I mean, you will see if you find a worm and you give it to your chickens, they lose their minds. They're so happy. They are (laughs) not vegetarians. They're not vegetarians. In fact, they can even be 
they can even eat chicken themselves. They can even be cannibalistic <laughs> okay, if you that would allow them. And don't do that. I don't want do to think that. about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think about that. Don't do I that. I like that. They're kind I of, like the word. That's, yeah, that's good. Okay, so now let's move on to gardens because, as you mentioned, garden centers are so crazy big right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are thinking of getting back to gardens and it's been compared a lot to the victory garden mentality. Right. There is, there are two remaining victory gardens from World War II in the entire country, Marjorie. One is outside of Boston. One is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it was five doors down from my oh. old house. And I this love a, that garden. Yeah. That garden, it's the Dowling Community Garden. It is so beautiful. And I have a special connection to that garden because my first house was owned by a couple named Rose and Elof Pearson, and they were the couple that started the Victory mm-hmm. Garden during World War II. And Rose lived in that house until she died in her 90s, and she maintained giant plots, several giant plots at the community garden, and then also the garden that was in the backyard of my first house. And so when I moved into that house, one of the first pieces of mail I received was a seed catalog addressed to Rose <laughs> Pearson. And I looked oh. at that as a real divine sign that, oh, yeah, it is. And, and the garden was a selling point for me to buy that house, but I looked at that as a real divine sign that I needed to continue that and that gardening was going to become something that was even more important to me. And so so I maintained her garden until we bought this house. And this last summer, we didn't do a garden at this house because we were in the middle of the kitchen reno. And we are doing some raised beds this year so that I can have a garden now. And I a couple things with gardening, Marjorie. And if you want to do gardening, I really recommend that you look into this to a raised bed situation. Oh, I was researching it last week because that's what I'm prepping. I'm doing yes. a lot of work outside. So I'm going to do, I have, we have, it's a pretty big yard in Kansas. And so and you have I want to make growing sure. conditions there, by the way, that it's like, yeah. you can't get better than there. Oh, it's crazy. And we're up sort of tucked in some woods. So it's very secluded. It's just perfect. So tell me, cause I was actually researching containers, but tell me about raised bed. Cause I think that's the way I'm going to go. Well, containers and raised beds are both really great. And a couple of reasons why they look really neat. It's just nice yep. to have in your yard because it can sort of contain the garden and you don't end up with like just this huge plot of dirt that you're sort of dealing with. And they also really help with weed control. And the reason is, is that when you do the raised bed, you generally line the bottom of it with like a landscaping fabric and then you put the soil in and you end up with really great soil because you're bringing in fresh soil. Frankly, a lot of us don't have amazing soil. soil just sitting under our turf. Yeah. So bringing in fresh soil that you can then nurture and continue to grow with compost and all sorts of things, you're guaranteed just some better, like just a better starting point there. And then weed management. And there's nothing more frustrating than going out there and seeing everything just choked by weeds. Right. And it's so hard to keep under control when you just till out part of your yard and you have grass on either side. It's just like, it will we just, have- the weeds will infiltrate trade everything. We have so many spreading because we're we back up to some woods. We have a lot of spreading tree roots and oh, yeah. spreading yeah. vines creepy Charlie and, and all that stuff. Everything. And then on top of that when I was doing the research about it, one of the things for me is not only do a lot of us not have good soil, for some of us the soil's contaminated. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying my soil's contaminated, but I think before I would feel comfortable planting a garden in the ground in the old soil, 
I would want the soil tested, and that just seems too far to go. Well, you I mean, can I do that. Yeah, in- your extension service will do that for you. But I just, I would just rather bring in really good soil and yeah. start from there. So I like that idea. And what do you use? My concern is, what do you make the raised bed out of? So like you what can kind use- of wood. Just whatever kind of wood. I mean, they recommend not using treated wood because that can be treated with chemicals. Right. But if you, you can also, you can go to the Home Depot or whatever and get wood and build raised bed boxes really quite easily. They'll cut it for you. A oh, couple really? of things, you never want to make it more than four feet wide. So the length you can make as long as you want, but you don't want your raised bed boxes to be more than four feet wide because otherwise it's impossible to reach in and get to the middle. So (laughs) four feet wide should be your max. That's a good piece of advice. Yeah, it is. So you don't want to do like a massive square, right? You wouldn't want to do like an eight by eight by eight by eight. You wouldn't want to do that. You would want it to be like four by eight. How high? You can do as small as six inches. You can do as high as 12. I think we did 10 inches on our last ones. And it worked out really well. What is he going to build for you this time? This time it's it's still in negotiation because we're <laughs> discussing. I think what we're going to do, and I would also recommend this too, is kind of draw out where you want things to go in your yard, and then right. and then think of a plan to expand. But you don't necessarily have to do it the first year, right? Like you right. could do one raised one bed, bed, and then yeah. think of how you want it to continue. Pinterest is totally your friend because there's so many great. Oh, good. Uh, images of gardens and garden setups. And then the other thing you can do is you can look on gardeners.com. Gardeners.com is a really great employee. It's an employee owned cooperative of gardening gear. Hmm. And it's one of my favorite websites. I order a lot of things from there and they have a ton of like prefabbed raised bed kits too. So you oh. can do some price comparison and you can also just see they have some cool like metal looking ones and made out of different materials where if you want like more of an industrial look or more of a modern look, you can really make it part of your yard and make it something beautiful. So check out gardeners.com. A lot of the metal ones that I was researching though, Elizabeth, when I would go and read the reviews, a lot of people complained about rust. Oh, they did. Yeah. Like within three or four years. And I think people lean to that because they think wood deteriorates obviously over time. But at the same time, I'd almost have, I prefer wood deterioration over rust. Yeah. So it's interesting, but I think you can, there are so many, and I was leaning toward the metal ones and I just haven't found one that didn't rust, but I think I'm going to do wood. Is that what it's, you did? You've done in the past, right? We've done wood, do wood, yeah. Containers wood. are also a really great place to start. If you start with herbs, you'll have so much fun. They're really foolproof and they just can make your food so much better. So one trick that I've learned is this is really funny, but in our old house, the garden was in the way back of the yard. Keep in mind, by way back, Marjorie, we had 0.13 of an acre total. So this right. is not a large yard. This <laughs> is a small city lot. But it was funny because when I would cook, I would find myself too lazy to walk out there to get herbs, <laughs> which if That's I was like funny. just doing herbs, you know, or right. if I thought, oh, I should put a little more parsley on this. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go all the way out there, which is ridiculous. But so what I started doing is my garden in the back would have all of our main kind of food crops and some herbs. And then I would do containers of herbs right on the deck, right outside oh, the door so that I could go out. And what was fun about that is I found myself just automatically going out. And if I was like pouring a glass of water, I would just run out and snip some 
mint leaves and put it in the water. And it kind of just gets you more in the habit of using it. So starting with herbs and doing herbs in containers is fantastic. And mint particularly, you should always do in a container because it is a weed and it will take over everything. Well, it's there was a restaurant, I can't remember the name of it all of a sudden, in Phoenix that was at this really nice shopping center. And I went there to go grab breakfast, and I noticed all around the restaurant they had these rolling planters. Yes, those were, were filled, fabulous, Marjorie. Yeah, that were filled with herbs. And it was so – they were using – I mean, obviously, I think the chefs used the herbs that were in it. But it was such great decor for the restaurant. But I thought, oh, that would be fun to sort of have it your – just like you said, just right outside your kitchen. And you'd be um, amazed by how much you can do in those rolling raised planters. I mean, you can yeah. do tomatoes in those. You can do potatoes. Right. You can do kale. You can do tons of things. You don't need to feel like in order to have your home creating something and growing something, like you have to have this huge plot of tilled land in the yard. You don't have to do that. You can integrate food production into your landscaping and into the decor of your home if you just think about what to eat. One year, Marjorie, in my front window boxes, I did all herbs, all herbs in my front window boxes. And so I would smell the mint and the basil as I was coming in the front door. And that's good. It was so wonderful. So you can really get creative about where you grow food. My second really important tip, I think, is to grow up. So get some trellises and you can either make trellises yourself or you can buy them. They're, they come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and materials. But when you grow up, you don't need as much land on the bottom. Right. And so right. you can grow squash, cucumbers, green beans, purple beans, all sorts of stuff will grow from seed or from little plants in the soil. And then we'll just follow the trellises. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more magical to me than seeing these little tiny tendrils of plant wrapping around the trellis and then climbing their way up. I think it is just like a sign of nature going to heaven. I don't know. I think it's the most beautiful thing. And I will stare at them and watch them and watch their curly cues progress. And I just think it's like this miracle of nature that's so amazing. And then people always ask me like, what should you grow? What should I start with to grow? And I have a few recommendations there. So Things that are really easy. Kale is super easy, Marjorie. It's really easy and it can last through the first frost in Minnesota. Hmm. So I like to grow kale because it's, it looks pretty and it's easy and you, you have to get a little bit creative with how you use it, but kale salads are very hot right now still. Oh, and kale in your smoothie is so easy. Yeah. And you can juice it and you can do whatever and that's easy. Tomatoes, I think are, easy, particularly if you go with the small ones. So if you get cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes and you can get them in yellow, you can get them in all sorts of colors. The smaller tomatoes, what's fun is that you can harvest them faster. I love to just hang out in the garden with the kids and they just wolf down cherry tomatoes from the plant. Zucchini is another one that is so easy. You'll get a ton of it and it's a nice way to start. And I also love growing winter squashes because they take a long time. So it's not like you're harvesting it all the time. Right. You just wait until fall and then you harvest and then you have winter squashes. Rhubarb, chives, asparagus, those are examples of all foods that will come back. So you can plant a rhubarb patch, you can do chives, and then every year they'll just automatically come back. And oh, rhubarb it's so be fun. exciting. Yeah. And so you see it. It's a first sign of spring. You can use 
those things all sorts of different ways. Fruit trees are another thing that we had a North Star cherry tree in our last backyard. We'll do another one here. And so tart cherries are one of the most anti-inflammatory foods on the earth. They're so good for you. And we would grow these tart cherries and then I make them into jam. You throw them in juices, you throw them in smoothies. And then my kids look like a murder scene when they come home from daycare because they just stand in the front yard and eat cherries. <laughs> and and, and the cherry blood. tree, what kind of cherry tree is it? So we had a North Star cherry tree. And okay. you should check to see what's best in your area. But the tart right. cherry trees do really well in Minnesota. Oh, they're so good for you. They're so good for you. Oh, I would yeah. plant rows and rows of those. I know. You can are have a whole Are they easy to take orchard. care of or do they attract bugs? They are really easy. They do attract birds. My mom in Burnsville has had a hard time with hers with birds. So right. So she put netting around it and then she goes out and yells at the birds. Okay. <laughs> so, you, you know, you have to think about that. But in the city, we never had a problem with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I noticed something on Instagram just a week ago, and I've never tried this, but I thought it was really sort of clever for first-time gardeners, called a seed sheet. Have you seen these? No, what's that? So you order, you, I'll, I'll, would, when we do the, um, the description, I'll put the, the link in. And I, I'm not endorsing this because I have not used it, but I thought it was a really innovative idea. It was actually a company that was on Shark Tank. And you order what you want in your seed sheet, and they just sort of put it into this fabric. And then you just roll out the fabric and water it. Smart. Yeah. So for people who might be intimidated about all the digging and what do I pick and what do I do, I may order a small one of these just to see, just to test, because it was like 20 bucks. I mean, it wasn't a lot, but just because I feel weird talking about something that I've never used, but I thought it was a pretty innovative idea. I thought it was pretty cool for people who might be a little hesitant to start something. And it'd be, I think this would be kind of fun with your kids too, because it takes out a lot of the work. Like if you're super busy, it takes out a lot of the work, but your kids get to see something grow. It's but so good. I'll, I'll put the link up and people can make a decision for themselves. Now I put, I put in here, I wanted to talk about canning and preserving. I think we save that for another time, but I'm obsessed with this idea now. Of, it's great. Do you do that too? Yes. Oh my gosh. I've taken a couple of canning classes. So I usually do jam. Actually, it was so funny when I was pregnant with Franklin and I was a couple of days from giving birth, but didn't know it. I harvested five pounds of cherries from our cherry tree in the front and pitted them all (laughs) and made tons of jam. And okay. And I love it. It's, it's very fun. Canning and preserving is. Awesome. I'd also encourage you to not just think about having to do like water bath or pressure cooker canning, that there are other ways that you can preserve your harvest. Like freezing is huge and freezing is easier. And many will argue that it actually preserves the nutrients in the food even better than canning because canning is heating it up. So if you're freezing things, I always shred zucchini and then put it in bags in the freezer and then you can pull them out to throw in soup or make zucchini bread or whatever you want. Right. And like with herbs, you can preserve them. You can chop them up and then you can put olive oil over them in ice cube trays. And then you can have just like little herb bombs essentially that if you're like making a pasta, you can just like throw a basil one or throw a parsley one in and it can kind of become your sauce or put that on top of some simple steamed vegetables or roasted vegetables. And then you're kind of enjoying your harvest. Right. That's wonderful. And then the last thing is I've been trying to attempt sourdough marjorie and oh my gosh. Is it harder than it looks? Hand on my face. (laughs) Yes. It's hard. 
I have been working on my sourdough starter for a month and I've made two loaves of bread and both the first one was terrible and I fed it to the chickens. The second one was marginal at best. So there is a learning curve with it. It is definitely trickier than I thought because you have to maintain this live organism, which is your sourdough starter. Right. And then you also have to figure out how to bake bread and there are a million different ways to do it. So it's trickier than I thought. Maintaining the starter is also a little bit of an effort and you have to get into the groove. So if you're thinking about doing bread, sourdough is, I mean, it's so good. It's so good for you. There's fermentation involved. It's like great for gut health. It's amazing. But the artisan bread in five minutes a day method, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Start there. Is foolproof. (laughs) Start there, do it, enjoy your homemade bread. You'll be so happy. And I don't, Elizabeth, I don't think people need bread pressure right now. (laughs) They need it to be easy. I know. If you want to do the sourdough, I mean, go for it. Just know that there is a real learning curve with it. But there's also a lot of support online. I've had a lot of people write me encouraging messages about it. But the artisan bread in five minutes a day method is seriously foolproof. It's so great. I got into a groove with that a few years ago. And it was just I could always be baking bread or making pizza or making English muffins. And it was a very easy system. And I have to tell you, homemade English muffins, there might not be anything better on earth. Just the best. Oh my God, it's so good. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So the review this morning is from Wes's mommy. She says, it's nice to know that other moms think the same crazy thoughts that I do. Love to listen and laugh. We're thinking crazy thoughts, Elizabeth. 100% we are. And then we say them out loud, which (laughs) can probably sometimes be regrettable. But alas, here we are. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.